0: Well, good morning, everyone. So glad we didn't have to miss the first Sunday of the year, Miss Worship. So I'm glad you were able to come and hope everybody's safe. We started a series last week called The Bible. And today's topic is, Can the Bible Make You Better? I'm going to start with the same question I did last week, because I knew some people weren't here. And we have both services together uh, how many of you have ever read the whole Bible? Raise your hand, you read it from cover to cover. Okay, we look like we're about, still about half, half, half the congregation, which is better than normal uh, in, in a church, less than a half, you usually do. I wanna show you the same video I did last week. I've watched this multiple times and it, it still speaks to me, so we'll watch it Put again. Put
1: your hand up if you've read the Bible from cover to cover, okay? Okay, forget the index and the maps, you know. (laughs) Genesis to Revelation. All right, hands down. The rest of you, okay, chill out about it. Don't feel too guilty yet. (laughs) Listen, when you get to heaven, it's going to be a little bit awkward. (laughs) Because you're going to get there and Peter's going to go, Welcome, we've been expecting you. Come on in. Oh, let me introduce you to Obadiah. Obadiah says, did you like my book? You go, book what book? And then he introduces you to Zephaniah. Zephaniah says, did you like my book? What, you wrote a book as well? Listen, you're not going to be able to have conversations with certain people. I'd urge you and encourage you, don't put yourself in that situation. Seriously. Seriously. This is the only reliable data that we have about God.
0: Okay, so we are challenging you to read through the Bible this year. If this is a big step for you, we encourage you to read through the New Testament this year. Um, the, the key is to be Daily, daily. Most days in God's Word. Uh, some Bible fun facts. The first major book translated into another language was 250 BC. It's called the Septuagint. It was translated from the Hebrew, so it wasn't a New Testament yet, into Greek. <clears throat> it was the first book printed on the printing press. Uh, in 1440, Gutenberg invented the printing press. And in 1455, the Gutenberg Bible uh, was produced, and this was before King James Version, so it's a little different. Uh, <clears throat> uh, it was first book to be telegraphed. This happened, uh, the message was actually from the Supreme Court to the B&O Railroad in Baltimore, and it was a, pa- uh, a phrase out of numbers, and it was, this was King James, 1844, What hath God wrought? (laughs) That's what was telegraphed. Then 1969, some of us remember 1969. What happened in 1969? Walked on the moon, right? Anyway, uh, Neil Armstrong got out first. 19 minutes later, later, Buzz Aldrin stepped out. But before he did, he observed communion and read a Bible verse. Anybody know what Bible verse he read? It was John 15, 5. I am the vine, Jesus speaking. I'm the vine, you are the branches. He abides in me and I abide in him. Will produce much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. Interestingly enough, while I was studying this, uh, some years before, I don't remember which astronaut read from Genesis as he was going around the earth, and some atheists tried to get that stopped. And... Consequently, they weren't able to, and Buzz Aldrin, who was a Presbyterian layman, by the way, was able to read that uh, from the moon. Obviously, the Bible is always the bestseller every year. It's probably not even on the list. Can you imagine if you wrote a book, some of you wrote a book, if your book was the number one bestseller just one year, can you imagine it was the bestseller year after year after year? And, of course, by far, the Bible has been translated into more languages than any other book. Um, Thomas Jefferson, who, a um, little sketchy, he liked to, he, his idea was to cut some of the parts of the Bible out that he didn't like. But aside from that, here's what he said. I have always said that the studi- studious perusal, that's a word we don't use much, of the sacred volumes will make better homes, better citizens... Better fathers, better husbands, didn't say wives. So wives, if your husband's here, tell, say to them, the Bible will make you better. Go ahead. Okay, guys, tell your wife, you're already better. <laughs> you're already better. <laughs> Gonna help you with your marriage a little bit this morning. <laughs> Okay, so, how the Bible make you better? I'll give you, I don't think there's eight of them or something on this list. Um, First, it inspires me. It inspires me. If you're reading through, we read through, we're reading about um, Abraham. He's inspirational. Then we'll read about other people, uh, Joseph and Jacob and uh, Elijah and, of course, Paul, and the disciples, and Stephen, and, and when you read their stories, you're inspired. You're, you, you get dream bigger dreams, and you, determination to do what is right, and what God wants you to do grows stronger, because we have all these uh, uh, examples of people that walked with God to inspire us. And that doesn't include all the people in the last 2,000 years that we know of, like Buzz Aldrin. So it inspires us. It encourages us or encourages me. Now, there's lots of passages I could pick. So I just picked one, a few verses out of Romans chapter 8, because one of the great promises of Scripture is 8.28. Most of you know this verse. We know that God causes everything to work together for good, for those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I also put the amplified version on there to kind of, elongated a little bit, fill in some of the blanks. And we know, or we confidently know, some translation says this says with great confidence. So not just kinda I think I know, but with great confidence I know. That God, who deeply concerned about me, or about us, causes all things, not just the big things. That's what we normally think about, right? causes all things, big things, little things, to work together as a plan. God has a plan. Nobody can stop God's plan for good. Now, it's not for everybody. If you're not a Jesus follower, we're glad that you're here or you're watching. But this promise isn't for you. It's for Jesus followers who love God to those who are called according to his plan and purpose, those who have accepted his invitation into his family. We can now call him our father. So we're going to skip down few verses we get too long to read all these verses but then it says this what shall we say about such wonderful things as these if god is for us if god is on our side or i should say or we are, if we're on god's side who can ever be against us okay god cannot be defeated so if god's on our side or we're on his side we can't be defeated how do we know we are on his, he's on our side We have the greatest proof that anybody ever needs since he did not spare even his own son, one and only son, but gave him up for us. Let him be tortured and crucified. If he would do that, or since he's done that, won't he also give us everything else? If he took care of the biggest problem, he certainly can take care of the smaller problem. And uh, I'm reminded how this chapter starts. Who knows how Romans 8, 1 says. It says, there is no, absolutely no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. He's washed away our sin. No condemnation. Oh, we do wrong and we should feel guilty and we'll talk about that in a minute and confess it. But there's no condemnation. God's not up there just looking to, to, to zap you and punish you. Text goes on. A few other verses. No, despite all these things, it lists some negative things in there. This translation says, overwhelming victory. Some translations say, more than conquerors. How can you be more than victorious or more than conquerors? It's just, it's just the author's trying to explain God, God and his perspective. Overwhelming victory, victory on top of victory is ours, not personally, but through Christ who loved us. And I am convinced, there's that word again. Not that I think I know, but I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. That's why I don't need any feeling condemnation. Now, the tense, the tense here is continually convinced. Not that I was convinced today and not convinced tomorrow. I'm continually convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. And then he lists some things. It's an interesting list. Neither death nor life. So we know that when we die, we're not separated from God. We've got to be in his presence. Then he gets into supernatural. Neither angels nor demons. Now, angels shouldn't be a problem. Demons we might consider to be a problem. Neither our fears today, nor our worries about tomorrow, God tells us not to fear, not even demons, not even the powers of hell, that's the way he describes it, can separate us from God's love. So we don't need to fear that. Then he finishes up, No power in the sky above or earth beneath, indeed nothing in all creation, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And most of you, I know, most of you I know, I don't know all the people watching, but most of you can say, I've experienced that, right? You've been a Jesus follower for a while. If you have, you've experienced that, right? Nothing can separate you from the love of God. So nothing more encouraging than God's word. And we could spend weeks talking about that. How else does the Bible make me better? Um, I couldn't think of the best word to use here, so I just put, he, it reads me. And we talked about this verse last week. It sees us on the inside, if you will. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. We're also going to look at verse 13. For the word of God is alive and powerful. No other book is alive and powerful, right? It's the only book that's alive. Sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It sees in here, right? Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. You can't hide anything. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. Though so through his word, he communicates his nature, and his will to us. And then it causes us or forces us, actually, to make a decision with that information or with that communication. Just as my wife would ask me, well, you know, go out and clean the snow off the car. All right, she's communicated her desire to me. I either clean it off or I don't, right? Well, much more seriously, when God communicates, especially when he reveals that dark side of us inside, are we going to do something about that dark side or just going to... Continue. The uh, message paraphrase, which I know is a mer- only a, mer- a paraphrase, but I like the way it said verse, it, it, it translates or paraphrases verse 13. Nothing and no one can resist God's word. And all of us that are Jesus followers have de- experienced that, right? We couldn't resist. I couldn't resist God's word to me to become a pastor. I couldn't resist. We can't get away from it no matter what. Basically, it means God means what he says, right? God means what he says. How else can the Bible make us better? This comes from our reading this week. I don't know if every Sunday I can pick something out of our reading this week, but in Matthew chapter 4, what happens in Matthew chapter 4? Jesus fasts for 40 days, right? And then Satan comes to tempt him. And the first temptation is you haven't eaten for 40 days. God certainly wants you to eat. It's a a human desire. So you have the power, change these stones into bread. And what's Jesus' response? Well, let me ask you, where does he get his response? From God's word, right? And it's God's word for us now. Back in, I looked it up, I can't remember where it is, but you can look it up. He says, no, the scriptures say, or God says, Satan, you may say this, but God says this. And God's right, and you're not. People don't live by bread alone. But by, listen to this. This is how you you and I live. By every word that comes from the mouth of God. That's how we live. It is food for us. It is nourishment for us. That's why you eat food every day. That's why we're saying you should eat spiritual food every day. Now, it's easy to think, well, it's a natural to, you know, that's a natural desire. Well, we can, probably lots of us, overdo that desire of food. And uh, sex is great in marriage, but outside of marriage, God says it's wrong. Uh, Thirst is fine unless we drink stuff we shouldn't be drinking, right? So even Jesus' weapon, offensive weapon we talked about last week, was what? If you want to resist Satan... In temptation, the offensive weapon you and I have is God's word. Now, second temptation is interesting. Satan uses scripture. Anybody can quote scripture, right? What's the difference? Does Satan obey scripture? Does he obey God? No, he was trying to be a deceiver. Of course, Jesus saw through it. Now, the next four, we're going to take out the same passage of Scripture. It's in 2 Timothy. I never heard this referred to as the Timothy Road before. Some of you are familiar with the Roman Road. This, this is described as the Timothy Road. It's how to stay on or get back on the straight and narrow path or road. So, four things Timothy lists. First one is, he says, God's word teaches me. And we'll put part of the verse under each one of these. God's word teaches us. All scripture, this whole book, all right, is God-breathed. That means given by divine inspiration. Now, I forget the number, 40, about 40 different men wrote this book. Don't, don't go forward. We're not, wrote this book, uh, but it was inspired by God or God gave them the words to write. So we believe it is God's word. Divinely inspired. So consequently, it is profitable for instruction to teach us. And so God wants us on this straight and narrow road. And his road is to help us not hurt other people and not hurt ourselves. So when we deviate from God's word, somebody gets hurt. Somebody else or we get hurt. So instructs us on the road, how to stay on the road. Now, secondly, it convicts me because we all sometimes do what? Get off the run. Don't. We don't always obey. We don't always listen to God. And so consequently, it convicts me. Uh Uh-oh. Yeah, I, 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 I shouldn't have done that. Or I should have done that and I didn't do it. And the translation literally says, it is profitable for conviction of sin. Now, different ways to think about sin and feeling guilty, but in reality, it's rebellion. So it exposes our rebellion. Constantly, God says, do this. I said, no, I'm going to rebel. All of us have, well, many of us anyway, have children. Every, all of us have seen children rebel against their parents, right? Parents said to do this. And I said, I'm not doing that. That's what sin is. God says, I want you to do this, and I'm not doing that. Parents, how do you feel when your kids do that? Aren't you glad that God doesn't feel like? Well, I don't know what he feels like, but he doesn't treat us that way. (laughs) So it exposes our rebellion. So then what? Well, it corrects us. If we allow it to, right? So it is profitable, excuse me, Bible says, for correction of error, and I like this part, and restoration to obedience. This is how you can get back on the straight and narrow road, right? Timothy Road. how to stay on it when we get off it, how to get back onto it by confessing our sins and accepting God's forgiveness. Then fourthly, it trains me. It trains me so I can continue to know how to stay on the road. The more I know, the easier it is for me to stay on the road and avoid getting off the road. Uh, Amplify fills it in really details here. For training in righteousness. That's what it literally says. Well, what does training in righteousness mean? Learning to live in conformity to God's will, or God's word, all right? So God says this, this is what I'm going to do. God says, don't do this, I'm not going to do that. Both publicly and privately, Behaving honorably with personal integrity. Integrity is living the same way when nobody sees. Acting the same way in the dark. And also being called moral courage, the courage to do what is right. And then Timothy goes on to say in the next verse, God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. So we're all equipped. We're all capable. We have what we need to do what God wants us to do. I'm just going to give you one side story. There's lots we can illustrate. This guy's name is Hans Hauga. And he lived in Norway. Can we bring that up? Okay. In 1796, he got, we called, saved, right? He gave his life to God. And then he started reading the Bible. And then he started distributing Bibles to other people, and within five years there was a thousand. There was only nine hundred thousand people in Norway at this time, and there was a in five years a thousand home Bible studies. So you figure there's got to be a couple people in each one, right? So it's like half the population. And Norway at this time was a very poor. It was controlled by Denmark. It was very poor, and people didn't have jobs, and so. Hans Hauga started opening mills, a uh, paper mill and uh, uh, what do you call it when you do iron? <laughs> and we got a blacksmith here. Uh, he did that. He made a, uh, a printing office, uh, printed the Bibles and so forth. Now, fascinating thing is, if you weren't part, licensed by the church of Norway, it was illegal to preach. So guess what happened to Hans? Starting in 1804, He began to be imprisoned. Evidently, let him out because he got imprisoned eleven times. (laughs) So, for preaching the gospel, Um, and by 1812, Norway secured freedom from Denmark and had their own constitution. He he took part in that. He was uh, part of the Lutheran Church, and even his influence affected. To the Lutheran Church here in the United States. So here's a quote from someone that wrote about him. As Halga delved, in, delved into the Bible, he found the Bible packed with principles for everything human humanity faces. He preached that all who all the, that all we own and all that we are come, excuse me, and all that we are come from God. The Lord expects us to be good stewards of what he has given us, to be generous. Um, We talked about Operation Christmas Child. Uh, Thank you for your generosity. All those gifts we were able to give out at Christmas. We got a thank you letter from Miss Faith in the mail this week. Um, And then we took in over $4,000 in our international missions offering. So congratulations. Thank you for your generosity. Being good managers of God's resources. But we're going to do a better job. That's why we're offering financial peace, a better job in 2024. So, quickly, how does the Bible transform me? The Bible transforms your mind. Romans chapter 12. That's actually verse 1. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform... No, it isn't. It's verse 2. What happened to verse 1? Anyway... Uh, into a new person by changing the way you think. How do you transform yourself? Uh, Sometimes we can read self-help books, right? But the way to actually be transformed from the inside out, and we'll talk about that's what it means, is through God's Word. Uh, Secondly, you become what you think about. What do you think about all the time? Uh, put the same verse up there again. What do you think about all the time? No. Keep going forward. (laughs) Next one. Oh, there we are. Transform. You think negative thoughts all the time? You're going to be a negative person, right? You think positive thoughts? You're going to be a positive person. We'll talk about that in a minute. Let God transform you by changing the way you think. It's up here. That word transformation is the same word we use in uh, back up, please. And, uh, it's metamorphosis, which we use to describe a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. But it only happens once, right? It's a caterpillar, then it becomes a butterfly. This is an ongoing sense again here. Continuously being transformed. So as we put God's word in our minds, it continually changes us, transforms us, makes us better. And then I p- next on the outline... Changing your thinking changes your life. The verse goes on to say, then you will learn to know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect. You want a good and pleasing and perfect life? God's will, right? So we have to know it. If you want to be better at anything, for example, if you want to be a better... Is Ty here today? I don't know if I saw him. There he is. No, not Ty. ty Tyg. Tide, not tie, tie. Anyway, I was talking to him this week. He's a high school guy. He's track guy. All right, so I'm talking about, okay, what's your training? And he says, uh, you know, a certain day we do we run intervals and so forth. Uh so the the coach gets him doing all these things to make him better at running, right? So whatever it might whatever it might be, you're better at it if you practice it and do it. Same thing with Christianity. <clears throat> Now, I got to thinking about this book. Some of you have written books. Most people that write their books love their books. Guess what? Don't you think Jesus loves this book? And if believers, we say we love Jesus, right? So if we love Jesus, we ought to love what he loves, which he loves His book, which means we should read it. Now, quickly, and I'm running a little long, so we'll finish up. We resist change. So if you're not used to reading God's Word daily, you resist that, right? Resist it the other way. It'd be hard for me not to read it daily, okay? Because it's a habit. So Satan's going to whisper to you, this is not important. You don't need to do this. Uh, you can skip this day. Or, Pastor's crazy. You don't have to listen to him. You don't have to do what he wants. Just realize your nature, my nature, is to resist change. So if this is change for you, I think it's say you have to do something like 21 times in a row before it becomes a habit. So we you get through January, you'll be doing good. And two verses to finish up. Philippians, what are you thinking about? What's your thoughts? Fix your thoughts on what is true, not false, honorable, not dishonorable, right, not wrong, pure, not impure, lovely, not ugly, and admirable. Fill your mind with these things. Think these things that are excellent and worthy of of praise, and then uh, Ephesians. We we talked about last week about that armor of God. Well, he starts that passage before he gets to the armor. He says this: For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. So, what do we got to fight against non-flesh and blood blood enemies? You got any, anybody got anything they can use? God tells us what we got. We got this right here. That's what we use evil rulers and authorities, unseen world against mighty powers, the stark world against evil spirits in the heavenly places. I know life's tough, but the toughest part is we can't see. It's supernatural. How do you fight that? So again, let me finish with the question we started with. Can the Bible make you better? I would say absolutely if you read it and apply it. So the next steps, again, is last week. Commit to reading. Uh, choose a translation. Decide on a plan. When you're going to do it. Uh, talk to somebody that's, that's, that's listening to it. That's fine. Bible app is free. All kinds of translations. Some of them are audible. Um, cool thing kind of happened this week. Uh, somebody texted me on Monday and said they read... Uh, and then they asked me a question about that passage, the first two chapters of Genesis. So we had a little dialogue. And that same person texted me yesterday and showed me they checked all the boxes off. Somebody else told me this morning they checked all the boxes. So if you want to text me and show it to me, or if you've got questions about your reading, please call or text, whatever you want to do. Send me an email, whatever it is. And joyfully anticipate the transformation. We'll pray and have one song. will go off a few minutes late. Uh, Father God, thank you. We thank you for... So awesome. We have your word. We can hear from you 24-7, anytime we want, or just when a verse comes to mind. How awesome is that? And Father God, for some, some of these folks, this is going to be a big challenge. It's going to be a big change. And, and we resist change. And I would pray through your spirit that there would be an encouragement to continue. And if we get behind, not to stop. Uh, if it takes two years, the goal is to deal, uh, consistently have input of your word into our lives, if not daily, most days. So God, we pray for your strength to do this. For anyone that's not a Jesus follower, we pray today would be the day that they'd understand this word is inspired and it tells us about our greatest need is salvation and Jesus came and suffered, died, rose from the dead to conquer death in the grave and provide us with the free gift of salvation by his grace but you need to accept it. You need to invite him in. We pray the day is the day you do that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.